The last time I was here to preach was a year ago, and I spoke about four very special women. And today I'm going to speak on another woman, also a special woman, and her two sons. But I promise this time I won't cry. And I wouldn't have my wife and Eugenia come up here to stand beside me. Those who are here knew why. Okay. There is a word that all foreign business people doing business in China will sooner or later hear. It is the word guanxi, uh, roughly translated as connection or relations. And they will be told that without the right guanxi, it will be impossible to do business in China. So if a Chinese man, if a Chinese would ask you now, do you have the good guanxi with Jack Ma? This could mean any or all of the following, depending on context. Can you trust Mr. Ma? Can you give, can you get things done through Mr. Ma? Will Mr. Ma do you a favor? I just want you to know the Chinese are not the only ones with a Guanxi culture. <laughs> the US president has just appointed this handsome young man next to him as his point person to drive the most complex Middle East peace process. Now, this man speaks no Arabic. He has zero diplomatic experience. But he has a very important qualification because the president fully trusts him enough to let him marry his daughter. Now, that is Guanxi a la America. <laughs> now, it is not wrong for Christians to take advantage of Guanxi they have to gain access or to get things done. As long as it is for a good cause, and more importantly, in accordance with the will of God. The friendship Joseph had developed with the Pharaoh's cupbearer. I know it's two years later than planned. Eventually secured his release from prison. Now, Mordecai went to his niece Esther to persuade her, the queen, to intervene and save the Jewish race. Now, with the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus taught us how to wisely use our earthly resources to build quantity and goodwill for eternity. And today we will examine a Guanxi situation playing out within Jesus' inner circles of disciples. Now, if we will go back three verses in Matthew, you will note that just before this incident, Jesus gave his third and most detailed pronouncement of his forthcoming suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection. Now, so soon after this, you may wonder how the Zebedee brothers 
family, mother and sons, could be so insensitive as to come to Jesus with the request. Are they not bothered that the master would soon suffer shame, scourging, and death? But perhaps they do. But the final sentence in what Jesus had told them had captured their imagination at the expense of the rest. That is, on the third day, he will be raised to life. Exclamation mark. Not many of them in the Bible. Now Jesus had earlier told the disciples his mission on earth. They knew terrible things would happen to him. But following his death and resurrection, they also knew would come the ascension and his restoration to glory. Now for the Zebedee boys, the sense of this final glory was far more intense and acute because together with Peter, they had caught a glimpse of that glorious state on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, the Bible didn't record this. Now, following that, it was likely the brothers had a very intense and a private conversation with their mom. That conversation, I suggest, might be what prompted them to go on their knees before Jesus, as we read today. Now in Mark 16, we learn that the mother's name was Salome. This was no ordinary woman. She was one of the few women included in Jesus' inner circle. They would go everywhere with Jesus to attend to his daily needs. Now, Salome was always referred to in the Bible as the mother of the sons of Zebedee, but never the wife. This is probably because Zebedee was dead. Salome's widow states may explain why she could travel and serve the Lord full time. Now let us learn a bit more about this Salome. She was wealthy. Now we read in Mark 1 that her husband had a fishing business large enough to have hired workers. So before coming to Jesus, she might be the boss lady running the show together with her sons. She was devoted. She gave up much to follow Jesus. From a large mansion, she switched to the first century version of Airbnb. From having maids and servants, she had become the Lord's maid and servant. But the greatest proof of her devotion was her willingness to release her two sons from running the family business to follow Jesus. She was blessed. 
Which mother would not be proud to have two sons, not only among the twelve, but also inside the inner circle of three? In addition, one of the sons, their dear Johnny, was given the special title of the beloved disciple, given to no one else. She was a wise and good mother. As a widow, she might have raised her two sons all on her own. That Jesus would see something in both of them to pick them both to be his disciple would indicate the kind of upbringing, exemplary upbringing that she must have given them. She was loyal. At the crucifixion, all other disciples were too fearful to be around. Yet she and John stood boldly at the cross. Despite the presence of intimidating, intimidating and hostile crowd, she was shrewd and ambitious. In the previous chapter, she had just heard Jesus talking about his glorified state, his kingdom where he would reign as Lord and King. Her heart must be pulsating with excitement at the thought of her two sons judging the nation with Jesus. But it seemed that it was not enough. She was not content that her two boys would get two of the twelve thrones. She wanted their thrones to be right next to Jesus. Now, being a very sharp businesswoman, if she were living today, might have studied this book by the US president. She acted decisively to close the deal before anyone else could. Now, in the same narrative as recorded in Mark, the two brothers had pre-qualified their request by asking, Teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask. Now, imagine your five-year-olds coming to you and say, Daddy, Mommy, before I tell you what I want for Christmas, promise never say no. Now, if, a, if your child were to play these tricks on you, yeah, now, you will probably smile and try to accommodate. Until one time, your child asked for a younger sister she could play with. But these are not naive five-year-olds. You would think Salome and her two sons would have better sense than to come to Jesus with such a request and expect Jesus to consent. But don't be too quick to criticize. We can be as easily fall into the same mindset of seeking God to give us what we want. After all, did not Psalm 34 say that those who seek the Lord lacks no good things, emphasis on the things, For some, God may be like a transcendental version of Santa Claus. 
busily all day working through the long list we send them. This picture is to help you visualize the scene. Now, there are not many incidents recorded of the disciples kneeling before Jesus. Now, Jesus never demands such public expression of submission. Now, for Salome and the two sons to do that, it would immediately attract the attention and the curiosity of the other disciples especially when they seem very intent not to let the rest hear what they were asking Jesus. But Jesus wasn't very cooperating. He not only spoke loud enough that the rest could hear, he even repeated their request. The request was as direct as it was bold, to grant the two brothers preeminent places in God's kingdom. Now, to the request, Jesus' response was, you don't know what you were asking. Now, the notion the Zebedee family had of reward in heaven was like those little stickers you get in Bila, collect enough of them, you bring it to the shop and you can redeem a set of free set of plates or cutleries. Since the two brothers were among Jesus' inner circle of three, they thought they had more seniority than the other nine to occupy the two thrones next to Jesus. Peter, be them. Now, is it wrong for us to expect reward in heaven? Of course not. In God's infinite goodness and loving kindness, our Heavenly Father will richly reward us for all the work that we do in His name. However, the reward it's for him to grant, not for you to ask. I repeat, the reward is for him to grant, not for you to ask. Jesus then asked them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now the cup here is a metaphor referring to a journey. If you want other explanation of uh, the cup, go to Tom. <laughs> he could tell you many other explanations of the cup. I make it my, for me, the cup is a metaphor referring to a journey, all suffering and trials that we go through in life. Now, the cup that Jesus referred to was a very bitter cup, so bitter that for three times he went to his father to ask for it to be taken away. Now, it was clear that the Zebedee boys' family had no clue what the cup was. For without a moment's hesitation, they said, we can. Yes, we can. That they would commit so readily, reveal their ignorance. 
it might also suggest that they would be prepared to do whatever it takes to secure their places in heaven. Now, Jesus gave a rather puzzling response. He told them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Now, we just read Jesus as first asked if they could drink from this cup. When they said they could, he then told them they would indeed drink from the cup. He did not present it as a choice. In effect, he was telling them to follow him. They must be prepared to drink from his cup and to share in his suffering. Now, if I were Jesus, I know exactly how to do and what to do with the Zebedee family. First, I would demote John and James, and I'll make Peter the first pope. And for Salome, the mother, I know it's only for one more week, but I will have someone else cook my dinner and do my laundry so that she would learn better not to conspire with her sons. On overhearing the conversation, the other disciples were furious. Now, this was no expression of righteous anger over the brother's audacity or disapproval of Salome for using her guanxi with Jesus to advance her personal ambitions. They were as much upset with themselves for letting James and John make the first move. God ahead of them. To ask for the very thing they themselves also wanted. Now, I can be so sure because just a few days earlier, they had all come to Jesus to ask this. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if they were not interested whether their throne is number three, number six, or number ten, would they have asked? Further, in the following chapter, they saw the rich young man walking away sadly because he was not willing to give up his worldly riches. And then Peter turned to Jesus and asked, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Rewards. Now, Peter was comparing himself with that rich young man. Since he, was will, he had willingly stepped down as president and CEO of the Petra and Brothers Fishing Company of Galilee, he had assumed he deserved a handsome reward for his sacrifice. Now, he might have a preference for the left side, but for sure, he had his eyes set on one of those thrones next to Jesus. Now, one lesson we can learn here, it's important we draw lessons from this. 
is that we often come with mixed motives when we serve God. While we desire to honor Him, we at the same time may also harbor a secret desire to extract some material benefits out of it. This mixed motive is more real than you can imagine. And every Christian struggles with it at one time or another. If you don't agree with me, go read Romans 7. And I can recall as a young man, when I was standing up front, giving a solo in church, I have struggled and agonized over the thought whether I was singing to honor and glorify my God or I was singing to impress a certain girl sitting in the midst. Now, if you currently are struggling with this mixed motive as you serve God, don't be discouraged. I've got good news for you. You are not alone. Every one of Jesus' disciples struggle with it also. Just repent and ask God to strengthen you, strengthen your heart to serve Him with a correct attitude and motive. As Tozer, now, Tozer, the modern-day prophet, has this to say. Many people seem to be interested in knowing God for what they can get out of Him. They do not seem to know that God wants to give Himself. He wants to impart Himself with His gifts. Any gift that He would give us would be incomplete if it were separated from the knowledge of God. He goes on to say, the sovereign God wants to be loved for himself and honored for himself. But that is only part of what he wants. The other part is that he wants us to know that when we have him, we have everything. Friends, if it is not good news, I don't know what is. When we have God, we have everything. In Christ, we have everything we need for joy. Many of you, I'm sorry for using so much of, uh, quoting so much of the U.S. administration. Not only Fox News and uh, CNN, CNN does that. <laughs> or Stephen Colbert and Trevor Noah. <laughs> Many of you will recognize who this man is the U.S. Press Secretary, Sean Spicer. Now, there's something about Sean that we can learn from. Now, Sean is keenly aware that his audience is not members of the press corps or everyone who was CNN or Fox News. He has an audience of one, the president. Now, will you be a spiritual Sean Spicer? 
in all that you do, content only for God to be your audience. Now, if you will do that, then you wouldn't mind whether you are one of the worship teams standing here or the one who came this morning at 9 o'clock to do the opening. Only Ben knows, because he did the rostering, who that person is. Jesus did not react to the disciples' mixed motives for following him. He knew all about them, their motives, their fickleness, their frailty, and their petty ambitions. Yet, he still loved them all. Mind you, including Judas. And he desired his eternal purpose for all of them. Now, it is important for everyone here to be mindful that God desires the same for all of you. Now with time running out and the cross beckoning, he would gather the disciples one more time to explain the kingdom principle of greatness. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the high officials exercise authority over them. Now, Jesus first pointed out that the world equates greatness with power, dominations, wealth, and honor. He then went on to explain that his kingdom operates very differently. Whoever wants to come, become great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, the term slave has a very negative connotation. But in God's kingdom, the decision to become a slave for Jesus is voluntary. He will not impose it on anyone. No one is forced to follow Jesus. He did not say, you must follow. He said, if anybody will, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. But some may say, good, since Jesus says that you are to be a servant, then you need to listen to what I say and do what I do. Do what I say. But this is not what Jesus meant. The act of serving is mutual. We are to be servants of one another. Switch up the Drew is not here, so I can talk behind his back. He's not only our pastor. He is also our servant-in-chief. We are all witnesses to how he and Becky have so tirelessly and joyfully served not just members of ICP, but also the larger community in Prague. They may have lost count of how many homeless people they have sheltered in their home. We not only benefited from his biblical teaching and pastoral care, we also see in him a model of a servant leader. Church, may I ask you, as you continue to enjoy 
this pastoral care and loving concern, that you consider practical little ways to express your appreciation to this wonderful couple that God has blessed us with? Will you do that? Don't do it tomorrow. Think. For all of us here who are committed to follow Jesus, the cup we share with Jesus may come in many different forms and ways. No two cups will be the same. For John and James, the cup would come one day to them in ways and intensity that they would never have imagined. In AD 44, James was executed by King Harold. He would have the distinction of being the first disciple to be martyred for his faith. John's cup cannot be more different. It will be far more protracted, but no less intense. Apart from being entrusted with the heavy responsibility of caring for the Lord's mother until she died, he would endure a long life of suffering and persecution. He would outlive all other apostles and would spend his final years banished to the island of Patmos. Did the two brothers attain greatness? I believe so. Just not according to their metrics. Like her son, Salome had also drank from that cup. As Jesus was crucified, she stood at the cross to watch her beloved master die, bearing unspeakable sorrow and pain. With tears streaming down her cheek, she lifted her eyes to behold the battered but beautiful face of the man she had offered all her devotion and obedience. And she saw next to him was not two thrones, but two other crosses. In a few more days, Jesus would give his final lesson on spiritual greatness. He did it by way of an example. At the Last Supper, he rose from the table, took a bowl of water, knelt by his disciples' feet, and washed their dirty, smelly feet. If some of his stunned disciples had not gotten it yet, they would have after their feet were washed clean by the master. There are some here who have not started on this exciting journey. Jesus is still not part of your life. I will invite you today to come and join me to follow the servant king. 
most of you here are already on this journey. However, there's still some areas in your life that you are unwilling to surrender to the will of God. It may be an ambition, a relationship, an obsession, an addiction, a fear, or an unforgiving heart. Now, the Holy Spirit wants to free you from the bondage of this inner prison. Come to the prayer corner afterwards, and there will be people who can pray for you to ask for release. Finally, I want to address a very special group of people in our midst. We are blessed to have many who are called into full-time Christian ministry. By leaving the security of a paid job and the comfort of your own country, yeah, this is Sarah going back to the Middle East, and coping with a strange language, to make Prague your home, you are a model of what it is to drink from Jesus' cup. If Jesus were to appear today, he may pick out some of you to say, to call you by name. Jane, Melinda, Daniel, Benjamin, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. But for some of you, you may find your cup too bitter to bear. In your discouragement, you may have harbored doubt about your call. If you are one such person, come to me afterward. I will be there with Ed and Mindy. I just want to pray with you and to ask the Spirit to encourage you and to strengthen you so that, like Salome, John, and James, you may press on towards the prize set before you and finish well. As I was asking the Lord how I should end, He reminded me, brought to my memory, a hymn that I last heard as a teenager. That's how long ago. It was sung by a pastor at the end of his sermon. In Chinese. <laughs> but I wouldn't do it in Chinese. I pray the Spirit we use the same hymn to minister to everyone who has told the Lord, yes, I can and I will drink from that cup and I will follow you to the very end. I travel down a lonely road 
and no one seemed to care. The burden on my very back had bowed me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. And then I heard him say so tenderly, My feet were all so weary upon the Calvary road. The cross became so heavy, I fell beneath the load. Oh, be faithful, weary pilgrim, the morning I can see. Just leave your cross and follow our close to me. I worked so hard to, for Jesus, I often boast and say, I've sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune, I'm worth a lot to thee. And then I heard him gently say to me, Oh, I left the throne of glory and counted it the Lord. My hands were rolled in anger upon a cruel cross. But now we made the journey with your hand in mind. So leave your cross and follow close to me. Oh, Jesus, if I die upon a foreign field someday, there'll be no more than love demands, no less could I repay. No greater love has mortal man than for a friend to die. These are the words he gently spoke to me. Oh, if just a cup of water I placed within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. But if by bad death to living they can thy glory see, I'll take my cross and follow close to thee.